Amen. Today's sermon begins a series that I'm going to call Gone Fishing. Most of the content of this series, the scripture content, occurs in a boat on the water. And in this series, we're going to talk about several very important components of life. We're going to talk about obedience, discipleship, fellowship, how to be a part of the family of God, how to be a part of of, of the community of believers. We're going to talk about what God has in store for us in our future. So it's a very important series. But today, we're going to begin this series on the first day of the year. And I'm going to preach on the first day of the year about something that I believe is the preeminent assignment for the people of God, and that is evangelism. I'm going to preach today about souls being saved. I'm going to preach today about a church winning the lost. Because I believe that, the, that a component of any Great Commission church is not that she just knows how to maintenance people who are already saved. But if you're truly a, a gospel church, and if you're truly a Great Commission church, if we're truly who God called us to be, we're not just maintenancing people who've made a confession. We are reaching people who do not know Jesus with the love of God and the message of the gospel. Can you say amen? So today is a reinforcement for most of us. Most of us have heard all of this before, but I'm going to tell you today, I don't care how many times we've heard it, if we're not actively engaged in it, we need to reprioritize our life at the beginning of the year and be reminded of why we are a church, why the lights are on in this building, and why we have breath in our body. It is to plunder hell and populate heaven. How many believe that is the assignment of God on our life? Say amen. I want you to go first to Matthew chapter 4. Help me, Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 4. Verse number 18. When you got it, say word. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, verse 18, Matthew 4. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Flip over, please, to John chapter 21. A few more scriptures here that we're going to read. The last chapter of John's gospel. Jesus has been crucified and is now risen. He is alive, and this story picks up after the resurrection of Jesus. After these things, verse 1, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, for those of you, most of you know this, and I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but that's the Sea of Galilee, right? The Sea of Tiberias and the Sea of Galilee are one and the same. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and the two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got caught into the boat. That got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Say caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children. Hear the word of the Lord in your heart today. Children, have you any food? Have you caught any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast 
And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his put on his outer garment for he removed it. And he plunged into the sea. I want to talk about going fishing this morning. I want to talk about winning souls. I want us to talk about winning Chattanooga. I want to talk about you winning your neighbor. Somebody pray for me and I'll pray for you. Lord God, today is the day you've made, created and fashioned. You've perfected this day already. You've already declared it's good. We agree with you, Lord, that today is a good day. For some of us, it's a new day of mercy. It's a new day of opportunity. It's a chance for a fresh start. For some of us today, Lord, we're just here because our hearts have been heavy and we've been carrying burdens. And now we've laid those down at your feet. We're beginning to experience the joy of the Lord. But today for all of us, God, I pray that there would be a burning fire of evangelism kindled and rekindled. Not only in the heart of this house, but in the hearts of all of your people. Reveal to us today, God, our role and our assignment in being a part of your kingdom. I pray today, God, for those who have shelved the idea of being an evangelist. I pray that you'll just wake up a new passion. Stir in us a new flame, Lord God, of winning the lost. I pray, Lord, this church would never be content with the harvest that we've experienced in the past. But we would always be reminded that the net is ready, that the fish are waiting. That you have a heart, Lord God, to save all of humanity. Today, Lord God, I pray this house, this church, these precious and beautiful people would not just be pew warmers. We would not just be church setters, but we would win the lost in the name of the Lord. Now, God, I pray for a Holy Ghost fire, the kind of fire that is genuine and authentic, the kind of fire that pleads with heaven for, for earth and for humanity to be saved. Lord, let that kind of fire rise up out of this house. I am praying, Lord, a bodacious prayer today. I am praying an august prayer today. I am praying that in 2018 you will save more souls than we have ever seen saved in, the, in a year in this church's history. For the glory of God. If you agree with me, say amen. You can be seated. It always is, amazes me the kind of team that Jesus decided to assemble when he built his dream team. He comes to this earth knowing that he's going to leave. He comes to this earth earth understanding that he's going to have haters and probably because of his haters he's going to have just a few years of ministry opportunity and we know from the gospels he has just a little over three years of ministry opportunity before the hate finally crescendos into crucifixion knowing that his time was limited knowing that the mission for which he came to this earth had to be done in a certain window of time and that after he left earth, he would essentially put into the hands of this team he was building the responsibility of winning the lost and advancing this kingdom. Knowing his time was limited, you would think, I would at least think, that, that if I'm going to build a team that is going to be responsible for winning the lost and advancing this kingdom and doing something supernatural that would turn the world upside down, if I were going to be 
depending on a group of people like that, I probably would go after the sharpest knives in the drawer. I probably would go after the most articulate. I would probably go after the most gifted. I would probably go after the most influential people that I could possibly assemble, the greatest team I could assemble to do it. But when you look at the team of 12 that Jesus selects to be the dream team, it's almost a nightmare. We have a couple of tax collectors. We have a couple of fishermen. We have a couple of political zealots. And through all of this assembling of the craziest group of 12 people you could possibly imagine, Jesus develops a dream team. While I'm shocked on one hand, I'm incredibly relieved on the other. That when God gets ready to put a team together, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, he doesn't go looking for the wisest. He doesn't go looking for the most well put together. When God puts a team of of evangelists and soul winners and a group of people who, who he would expect to turn the world upside down, he doesn't go get the religious elite. In fact, he didn't even go to the temple to get one of them. He went to a seashore He went to a tax collector. He went to a bunch of men who had absolutely no spiritual thing going for them and he calls greatness out of them. God doesn't go after the wise. God doesn't go after those who have all of their ducks in a row. That's your cue to praise the Lord because I'm talking about you and me. He goes after the people who he knows will do one thing, follow Jesus. If he can find someone who will follow him, he can turn the world upside down. I'm so sick of people who think they have something to offer God and they're God's great, they think they're God's great gift to the church and the entire world. I'm just glad today he takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I'm glad he just picked me. Like a chubby boy in a game of dodgeball. I'm just glad he picked me. Do I know what I'm talking about today? Can you testify and thank God that you didn't have much to bring to the table? You didn't have much that would have acquired his interest. You didn't have much to impress him with. But what you did have is a yes in your spirit. And when he called you, you decided to follow him. The greatest blessing that you have is your ability to follow Jesus. It is not your giftedness. God is not impressed with your ability. He is not impressed with your skill. He is not impressed with your, all of your accolades. What he is most impressed with is that you would leave everything to follow him. The qualifier for God to use you is not that you bring your sassy self to the table with all that you have to offer the kingdom. What makes God attracted to you is that you would leave everything you have to follow Christ. And what I find most interesting about the 12 that Jesus picked, most of us would not have started a revolution with those 12. 
But what he is getting ready to do is to speak into them and to call out of them the greatness that God had already put within them. And I want to tell you, there's some people in this room today, you have greatness inside of you that no one has ever identified or called out. But I came to tell you, you are more than a loser, a should have been, a could have been, a has been, a going to be, a want to be. I want to tell you today, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there are some people sitting in this church, you are like a diamond in a mind that no one has ever seen. But God in his grace is going to pull you out of a con text, out of a family tree, out of a problem, out of a mess, out of nothingness, and God is going to speak into you and call out of you a kingdom purpose that could turn your world upside down. That is the specialty of our Savior. The specialty of our Savior is not that he chooses the elite and does something great with them. The specialty of our Savior, oh, thank you, God, is that he will pour his unmerited favor. We call it grace. He will pour his favor out upon vessels who do not deserve it, and he will use them for his glory to turn this world upside down. All he wants is a yes. And in the story before us today, I am reminded acutely of the, of the fact that when Jesus chose his team, he chose the most unlikely candidates to advance his kingdom. It's interesting to me that no matter what their job was, he brought out the higher purpose in whatever they were doing. As a pastor, one of, the, one of the things that I get more than I get anything else is, Pastor, can you help me find my purpose? I want to know why I'm on this planet, right? That's what pe most people in church, not just here, but I'm talking about when I travel, you go pray for people on the altar, everybody says, I just want God to reveal to me why I'm here. Well, the first thing I always say is, what do you enjoy doing? Well, that's not spiritual. What you want me to do is call you to preach. The reality of it is very few people are called into full-time ministry as it relates to the kingdom at large. But the reason we live in frustration and we often walk in a place of, of unfulfillment is because we don't understand that God often brings about spiritual purpose out of very mundane, everyday things. Here he comes in Matthew 4 to two sets of brothers, which I think is a whole other revelation. That God, God calls people who understand something about family. Here's Peter and Andrew and James and John, two sets of brothers, and Jesus is getting ready to put two sets of brothers in his, in his mission ministry. And I think it's because God likes family. You don't have to say amen. You can continue to reject this notion and live as if you are an island under yourself, but there really is something powerful and prophetic release when we understand that we are better together than we are apart. There's something profound about the fact that Jesus goes after two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and he puts them in the boat. And watch this. They're fishing. They're fishermen. He doesn't come to them and present them with an amazing future that is disconnected from their passion. They love fishing. It's what they do for a living. He doesn't come to, to four fishermen and say, hey, let's go become lawyers and doctors and become significant. He comes to four fishermen and says, follow me, and I'm going to add a higher dimension to what you like doing. You like fishing for fish, but if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. 
That's what purpose is. Purpose isn't about running away from responsibility and running away from what you love doing and running away from a job so you can get caught up in the real ministry. Purpose is about saying, I'm a fisherman, but the higher purpose and the greater level for me is understanding that I don't just fish for fish for a living. God is about to make me fishers of men. I'm about to understand the reason for which I was been, have been put on this planet, and that is to advance the kingdom of God and increase the population of heaven how many in here are full time in the ministry you don't do anything else to draw a check but ministry if you're in if you're in that boat lift your hand how many do something else for a living this is why I'm preaching this because 95% of this house Doctors and lawyers and insurance agents and car salesmen and teachers and, and administrators. And if all we do is wait on the 5% who are called into full-time ministry to follow Jesus and win the loss, we will miss the purpose of the kingdom. The purpose of the kingdom was not to transform fishermen into lawyers and preachers. It was to transform fishermen into fishers of men. Am I making sense? Because some people are either confused or don't like what I'm saying. If you're a typist or a clerk or a secretary or a teacher, follow Jesus. And he'll show you the real purpose. If you're a construction worker and you're a and you, and you hammer, and you're a framer, or, or you're a mechanic, or, or you're a doctor, or a veterinarian, or whatever, or a teacher, whatever you are, you are no less a part of increasing heaven's population. You are no less a part of the kingdom of God than your neighbor who is an itinerant evangelist and travels 365 days a year preaching the gospel. Wherever you are, whatever influence God has given you. That is your parish. That is your field. That is where God has called you. And the Lord is saying to us today, follow Jesus and he'll help you win those people. This is true evangelism. Let me quickly expose what evangelism is not. Evangelism is not, touch your neighbor, say not. No, no, get an attitude a little bit and just. Evangelism is not building a group of people based on selective profiling. We're going after them. I am so sick of selective profiling in churches. I'm going to preach. I'm going to whether you like it or not. It's the first Sunday, and you didn't call me, so you can't take it away from me. Hallelujah. 
selective profiling. Let's go plant a church where the rich people are. Let's go plant a church where the white people are. Let's go plant a church where the white collar jobs exist. Let's go do a demographic study and find out where all the six of y'all don't have to say amen. Hold your breath, I'll be through in a minute. Let's go find a place where all the successful people are and plant our little cute religious church right in the middle of it and get all the people to come and call that the kingdom. That's not evangelism. I have nothing wrong with going after successful people. But if all you do is go after successful people because you want their fat pocketbook, you have missed the intent of the kingdom of God. God did not call me just to reach rich people. He called me to reach rich people rich people, because there are poor people who ought to be sitting by the rich people and they ought to come together on Sunday morning. That's not evangelism. Amassing a large group of people that we have persuaded to enjoy our services is not evangelism. Growing crowds is not evangelism. Now, I'm telling you right now, there are four or five changes that we can make as a church in two weeks to gain more crowd. I could start on time, not begin with prayer, and promise you you'll be in, your behind will be in your car seat by 12 p.m. every Sunday, and I could increase this crowd by 700 people in a month. But I'm not trying to win no crowd because there are too many drug addicts and there are too many screwed up people for me to promise you that you'll get out on time and be happy because God might show up in glory and start breaking yokes and people's, my God, I feel him in here. Okay, calm down. All the first time guests are getting nervous. That's not evangelism. Swapping fish bowls So this is the church, and all the people in this church have been going to this church for some time probably. Maybe the leadership went through a struggle. I don't know what it was. Whatever reason, isn't it amazing people have a problem with commitment anymore? Now, let me say something. There's a difference between God realigning people and evangelism. Sometimes God will move people from one church to another. I got no problem with that. Because the body gets out of whack sometimes and you got to realign the body. There's nothing wrong with leaving a church as long as you leave right. There's nothing wrong with leaving a church as long as your heart is pure when you leave. Let me help you. If you can't have a meeting with your pastor and tell him why you're leaving and you're trying to sneak out, there's some, oh, I've made some enemies right there. Y'all feel that? Did you feel your neighbor get my, quiet, quiet and mad at me at the same time? God realigns the body sometimes. 
I promise you this, in 15 years of pastoring, when someone's come to me and said, God, move me to another church, I lay my hands on them, bless them, and release them. You don't have to worry about me talking about you because I understand something. If God's taking you out, it's because he's bringing someone else in. And how I release one person is how I'm able to be able to receive someone else. Listen, here's the most important thing as your pastor. Right now, I want you to be whole, healthy, fed, and in the right place. And what kind of egocentric individual would I be if I thought you had to be in my church to be in the kingdom? The kingdom of God is much bigger than redemption to the nation's church. So now that I said all that, I'm going to tell you what evangelism is not. Evangelism is not people who were in one church but got mad. Oh, a church down the road put in some new lights. A church down the road started a new singles ministry. A church down the road, they got all these new bells and whistles. Let's go down the road to another pot, and then if we're not careful, this pastor starts talking about, my church is growing. We got all these people coming to church. The kingdom is being advanced. No, the kingdom ain't being advanced. You swap crazy people. Y'all don't have to say amen. Take a big, deep breath on the first Sunday of the year. This is not evangelism. This is fish swapping. And most of the people who left that bowl to jump in this bowl are going to find another bowl next week to jump into. That ain't evangelism. First of all, the problem with that is every one of those fish are the same color. Which is how most of that mess happens anyway. You know you get into a real evangelism church when they come in from all walks of life, all different colors, all, oh, y'all better say something in here. You know you stepped into something real when your seat this Sunday is filled up by somebody who don't even know Jesus on next Sunday. Your, oh, God. Your parking place is in jeopardy. Your seat is in jeopardy. Your little church is in jeopardy. When you start preaching Jesus, the fishbowl gets filled with new converts. There's some purple, green, yellow, orange fish in this bowl. I say the more the merrier. Leave that there for a few days. I preach this all my life, but when you go fishing with Jesus, you don't go fishing with a pole. That's how some people go fishing. They go fishing with a pole. And when you go fishing with a pole, you get to choose what kind of fish you're trying to catch. So we got some preachers fishing for rich fish. Some preachers fishing for white fish. Some preachers preaching for black fish. I just believe you ought to throw out a net 
And when you throw out a net, you don't get to choose what kind of fish jumps in the net. This is what it looks like when you start fishing with Jesus. Because a gospel net will bring in all kind of folk. It'd be, you would be amazed at how many people on your road five years ago would never have sat in a multicultural church. And I'm talking about all of us. White folk who wouldn't have had church with anybody but white folk. Black folk that wouldn't have had church with anybody but black folk. Latino people that wouldn't have had church with anybody but Latino folk. You know what's happening in the earth? God is making those kinds of voices irrelevant. I'm telling you, the Lord told me about a year and a half ago, he said, I'm going to hit the mute button on the microphone of people who are preaching a homogenous kingdom. That's good preaching, Wallace. A homogenous kingdom. You know what homogenous is? A homogenous kingdom means everybody in your idea of the kingdom of God got to look the same, dress the same, sing the same, smell the same. I'm so sick of that mess. What happens in the true kingdom of God is God starts bringing in people from all over the place. They don't look like you. They don't smell like you. They don't shout when you shout, sing what you sing. They don't even know what a redback hymnal is. They just know that last week they woke up on an overdose and barely survived. And today they're sitting in church and they're trying to find out, can somebody help me? I need help. And to hell with racism and the spirit of religion that has kept the kingdom out of the city of Chattanooga. I'm telling you, God, oh, God is going to give us a harvest of red, yellow, black, and white, rich and poor. I got delivered four years ago from pleasing unpleasable religious people. I, oh God, I'm getting myself in trouble. I stopped having meetings with people who wanted to take me to lunch to tell me how to fix something when I'm not interested in your fix. I'm not interested in your vision. I'm interested in seeing heaven come to earth in Chattanooga as it is in glory. And this is true evangelism is when you go after people who very few people want to go after. When Jesus gets ready to take a whole city, he starts with a woman. <laughs> oh, his strategy, I'm getting myself tickled right here. His strategy is so different than ours. When we want to win a city, we want to go find the mayor. When Jesus gets ready to win a city, he wants to go find the hooker. <laughs> Y'all not going to help me, but it's in the Bible. John chapter 4 walks up to a whale. Can I preach like I like to preach in here? He said, ma'am, if you knew the gift of God that was on the inside of me, you would stop running to a whale looking for a drink, and you would ask me to give you a drink, and I would give you a drink of living water, and you would never thirst again. 
And he looks at the woman and said, where's your husband? Uh, well, uh, I had a few. And the one I'm with now ain't really the one. He, he's cross-eyed and crazy. And, but he's paying my bills. And, uh, and Jesus reads her mail. And she sets her water pot down. He said, hold on a minute. This is not the synagogue preacher that I know. This man is a prophet. When Jesus gets ready to win a city, he goes and finds the most screwed up person in the whole city and turns their life upside down because true grace is not revealed in people who were just decent folk but needed a religious band-aid. True grace is magnified and revealed when it is scandalously poured out on people who everyone knows could have been nothing and deserved nothing, but God still turned them around anyway. Who am I talking to in here? Oh, God. I'm trying to tell you that the messed up folk and the crazy folk are God's security. If you want God to show up in your house, keep the door open to the messed up people. That's who God is coming to help today. Because all of us have been crazy. Little Miss Sister thing. I know you, you know, you've got a nice suit on and your, your, your slacks are, are all creased and your perm is nice and everything looks good about but you ain't always been that way. Who am I talking to? You hadn't, you did not come out of your mama's belly speaking in Hondo Shatarabo Nope. You come out crazy. And the fact that you're still here is an indication God is going to help a whole lot of people in this city who are messed up this morning. If he helped you, So that was, I don't know what part of the sermon that was. Evangelism is not growing crowds. Let me, let me say this. I'm nervous that in the modern day church we have put a premium on size and not on conversion. I want you to hear me say I want to grow. I want to to increase in number because the more people in here, the better off they are. Right, we want to grow. How many can be real? We want to grow. There's the, what Jesus breathes on, he, he causes it to increase. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bring forth much fruit. Come on, when the Holy Ghost got poured out in the book of Acts, it didn't kill the church. The church exploded in growth. So this is not about being anti-growth. I want us to grow because numbers represent souls. And sometimes people who can't grow criticize people who can. And I certainly don't want to fall into the trap of being the preacher who resents growth in a local church. And so you get up and condemn everybody. That's not my assignment either. But I want to make sure we understand what true evangelism is. True evangelism is not just about gaining crowds. It's about producing converts. William Booth said, the trouble of the modern day church will be that we have decisions without conversions. So our goal is to run everybody down to the altar and get them to pray a prayer and make a decision. But when you're saved, you get converted. And you know you got converted because some things start changing in your life. Now it don't change overnight. 
But when you run down to the altar and pray, you ought to go back with a different set of ambitions. You ought to go back to your seat with a higher set of, uh, of, of aspirations. You, your, your heart ought to be set on higher things. And I'm, con I'm convinced and concerned at the same time that we're trying to pull people into something they're not sure they want to be a part of simply because it makes it look good when we tell somebody, 50 people got saved on Easter. Where were they the week after Easter? I ain't got no help in here right now. Where were they the week after Easter? Because if you really got saved, you want to be in church. I want us to have a focus on winning the lost. And for that to happen, several things have to occur. And let me talk about those things very quickly, and I'll be right out of your way. Number one, if we're going to win the lost, it means that we're going to have to fish where Jesus says fish. Because if John 21, the story I read to you about Peter and James and John and all of the disciples that were there that day, if John 21 teaches us anything, it is that you can go through the motions, have all of the right stuff, but still not catch any fish. It's called doing ministry in the arm of the flesh. Can you imagine this with me? Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is alive. Fresh off of the worst failure ever recorded in the Bible, a man named Peter says these words. I'm going fishing. This is John 21. I read it to you earlier, but you can peek back into it if you like. John 21. This is a man who Jesus called to go fishing for men. Jesus is now alive. Peter's still trying to wrestle with all the testimony that he's heard. He's probably saying something like this on the inside. You know what? I tried this Jesus thing for three and a half years, and it just didn't line up. It didn't turn out like I thought it was going to. You know, this, it was amazing. I saw him heal a lot of people, raise a lot of people from the dead. But, you know, after three and a half years, I, I just, I didn't take. Something wasn't right, and I've blown it royally. Let me just go back to fishing how I used to fish. Which is really where I feel like some people in this room are today. Enough Jesus to claim heaven as your eternal home. But if the truth be known on the inside, you've just sort of shelved that idea of a really radical life where every day is an adventure in following Jesus. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? Do you remember what it was like when the grace of God flowed down your heart and you knew what it felt like to be rescued when you didn't have to have another answered prayer for hot tears to run down your cheek and you to fall down on your knees and get thankful that he saved you. How much? Listen, I don't know about you. He doesn't have to. I'm thankful he will, but he doesn't have to do one more thing. For me to lift up my hands every day of my life and say thank you. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we get so we get so caught up into what God didn't do that we forgot what He did do. We just want to go back to life as normal, just a disconnected ex existence. Let's just go fishing. 
The problem was you were not just created to go fishing, just like you were not created just to work a nine-to-five job Monday through Friday, have a day off called Saturday, and wake up on Sunday morning because you had to fulfill some religious quota and come back to church because somebody will call and check on you if you don't show up. That's not the kingdom. Some of us, 2018, we just said, let's just go fishing. Let's just go fishing. And Jesus, in his love, comes to a group of disciples who've decided we're just going to go fishing and do it, do it like we used to do it. And I love Jesus. Don't you love him? He shows up at the point of their failure. Hey, guys! Did you catch anything? No failing fisherman wants to hear those words. My dad, he loves fishing. He fishes in all these tournaments. When I was little, we would always show up at the boat dock to see the way in. I could always tell when we drove up if he caught anything or not. If he was in the money and he had a lot of fish in the live well, we're going out to eat tonight. Ryan Steakhouse. How I many know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. <laughs> Like when we went to Ryan's, it was like we living high on the hall, y'all. We just got hooked up for real. Y'all, come on, somebody, be real with me. I didn't know nothing about no Ruth's Chris. Ruth was my neighbor, and Chris was his. Du- come on. <laughs> y'all better say something. I knew we had, I knew we were in the money. If I looked at that, he was smiling. But if I looked at him, Did you catch anything? No. No fisherman wants to be asked if they caught anything because that failure reminds them I'm not in my purpose. Something isn't lined up in my life if I, listen to me, the fact that they didn't catch fish bothered Jesus to the point that he came to provoke them. He came to provoke them. See, that's why growth is important. That's why increase is significant. That's why we should be growing. Because Jesus expects the kingdom to be advanced through our lives. This church should grow. This church should increase. The number of sinners in Chattanooga should plunge. Because we're in business. And Jesus expects us to grow. But when he says, have you caught any fish? No, no. He said, oh, no. No, it's okay. It's all right. I got this under control. Just take that net and put it on the other side. He he calls it the right side. Look at your neighbor and say the right side. Listen, some of y'all today, it's just about getting back on the right side. Your purpose is just one flip of the net. Just getting back on the right side, getting back on the right road, getting back in the right purpose, getting back in the right place. Some of us in this room, we think that the failure of our life requires 150 steps to recovery. No, it doesn't. One step. Obey the voice of God and get that net in the right place. That's all it takes. What you thought you wasted an entire night and missed, in one split second, you're going to catch everything.
that you lost in the whole night season. Just drop the net on the right side and watch. I'm wrapping up. They drop the net on the right side and they can't bring the fish in. There's so many. This is not a couple of pounds. Most of these fish weighed 10 pounds, 8 to 10 pounds. Most historians and theologians believe that would have been 153 fish at 10 pounds each. That's 1,500 pounds, Joe, of fish. 1,500 pounds of fish? Are you kidding me? I just flipped the net over on the other side of the boat. I just got back into my purpose. I just got back into the call of God on my life. I just embraced who I was in God. I just saw myself as a player in advancing the kingdom. I just said yes, afresh to Jesus again, and that's all it took. And I caught so much fish that I couldn't even really... When is the last? I'm going to ask you several questions and I'm done. When is the last time you actively, as a child of God, participated in advancing the kingdom? Think about it. Let, let me start with number one. When's the last time you invited someone to church? I want you to take inventory. You say, well, Brother Wallace, I'm just introverted, seriously. We've driven by your double-wide trailer as it shook while the Alabama Crimson Chide scored a touchdown, and it was rocking off its cylinder blocks. You were screaming. <laughs> I love having a microphone. <laughs> We're not introverted about things we're excited about. You know, I want to rebuke something off of all of us. I want to rebuke all of, off of all of us that religious condescension that began to criticize an excited people. You're just too excited. Calm down until you get deep. And when you really get deep and understand all the theological implications of the substitutionary atonement, when you really begin to explore the depths of theological academia, then perhaps one day it will be warranted that you get a little excited. Don't lose your passion. Don't ever lose your fire. Yes, get knowledge. Yes, get understanding. Yes, get education. But you hear your preacher tell you that when I got educated, it did not kill my fire. What I know doesn't cause me to calm down. What I have found causes me to be yet more passionate for God. When's the last time you witnessed to somebody invited them to church? This is the first question I have for you. I want you to think when the last time you invited someone to church was. You say, Pastor, is that really part of evangelism? Read your Bible. 
John chapter 1, a man named, if I remember this correctly, Andrew goes to a man named Nathaniel. He said, you ought to come see this man who saw me sitting under a fig tree. He said, watch. He asked him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John 1, 45 and 46. And he responds, come and see. <laughs> When's the last time you found somebody who was broke, busted, and disgusted in life? And you said to them, man, I found somebody. Really? Where? Come down to 1907 Bailey Abbey Avenue with me this Wednesday or next Sunday. Come and see him. Come and see all the people whose lives he's changed. Let me tell you, you never know who's watching. I can't use names. I'm definitely really nervous, but man, I feel so compelled right now. What night was it? What night was it? Monday. Monday night, we're getting ready. I'm going to fly out the next morning early at William McDowell's church to preach at William McDowell's church. And we took a couple of days break while we were in Florida. It's midnight. Devin and I have closed up the house. We got everything ready to leave. Bags are packed. I'm getting ready to go to bed and my doorbell rings. I'm like, what? Midnight? And I go and look and there's a sweet, beautiful young lady on my front porch. It was 16 degrees that night. She has frozen saliva all over her face. She has no shoes on her feet. And first, me being the guardian of the house, I go get my gun. Because <laughs> I'm like, we'll pray, but I'll shoot somebody if I have to. I mean, it's just, I mean, just going to, I mean, whatever. <laughs> I open the door. Watch, don't miss. I know it's late, but give me a few more minutes. I open the door. There's this young lady who's freezing to death, no shoes on. She says, I've been kicked out of my car by my boyfriend. And I've been looking for a place just to make a phone call. Can I make a phone call? So I go get my phone. I said, Devin, come watch this. I don't know what's going to happen, but we have to help. While she's using the phone, I look at this young lady. I said, her name. She looks up at me. We went to school together. From second grade through senior year, I hardly recognized her. She has no shoes on. She's almost frostbitten. She's shaking bring her into the house. Devin says to her, what made you come to this house? She said, well, this was the only house on the ridge with a, with a light on. And I'm sitting there talking to a drug addict who, who told us multiple times I feel like I've wasted my whole life. And I'm thinking, sweetheart, out of the 400,000 houses in Chattanooga, 
you could have stumbled upon. You came to this house. And I just happened to go to church, to school with you when you were a little kid. She looked at me and she said, Kevin, here's what she said. You're a preacher now. I said, how did you know that? She goes, we all know that. How did you know that? She said, we watch you on Facebook all the time. The only difference between me and that sweet, beautiful young lady is that I decided to follow him a little sooner in life. But my assignment that night was to let her know that no matter how long you waited, it's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. It's never too late. I wish I could tell you I led her to, to Jesus in my room and she got saved that night. That, that didn't happen, but I will tell you what I, I will tell you what God spoke to me because I think that night she was probably on drugs and inebriated. That night, God said to me, you sowed a seed, Kevin. I'll send somebody else to water it, but I'm going to give it increase. And Devin sat there Devin and I sat there with this young lady. Devin made her hot chocolate and chicken noodle soup. She don't even take care of me like that. Devin walked her through. We made phone calls to Teen Challenge and some other places. Thank you, Chris. I'm sorry. Here's my point. I was this close. At midnight, on a morning I had to get up at 5 a.m. to catch a flight, I was this close to saying, you know what, I'm going to call the police. We'll get you a ride somewhere, but i got to go to bed. Because that's what, that's what we do. We preachers, we got to get up in the morning and go preach. i got to hurry. Got to get in bed. i got to get up early in the morning and go preach. That was what was wrong with the priest and the Levite to the good Samaritan. Or to the man who had fallen on Jericho's road. The priest and the Levite were on their way to minister. But the good Samaritan was ministering while he was on his way. Here's what I want to say to you. Evangelism doesn't start with a profession it's not for the elite or the preachers evangelism starts with John 3 I'm sorry I'm crying evangelism starts with John 3.16 do you and I love what God loves 
love who? God loves. Or are we just running through life going fishing? Are we running through life going to the next job, the next man, the next woman, the next marriage, the next business venture? Or do we love like God loves? And do we love who God loves? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Evangelism starts there. When's the last time you invited someone to church? Come and see. Secondly, when's the last time you actively talked to someone about your relationship with Jesus and what he's done for you? Well, I'm insecure. This is going to be a hard pill for some of you to swallow, but get over it. Because the last question I want to ask is, who will go to hell because I didn't reach them with Jesus' love? You really think, Pastor, people will go to hell because you didn't reach them? I absolutely believe there are people you are assigned to love and to touch and to reach with the gospel who may never hear. How shall they hear except someone be sent and say something? I expect this year our church to grow because your family's coming in and getting saved. I expect this year our church is going to grow because people who have not been born again are going to get saved in this house by the grace of God. I believe this year our church is going to grow because lost prodigals who've known God but wandered away are coming back home. And you're going to play a role in every one of those. Spirit of God, speak to us.
Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Let's receive the word of the Lord. Can you stand now? Can you stand now? For those of you who do not understand, I want to make sure that I convey to you that this house believes in the gifts of the Spirit. According to 1 Corinthians, there is the gift of tongue and the gift of interpretation. The first brother that you heard speak in tongues spoke in tongues by the Spirit of God. The second brother that you heard interpreted the tongue in an intelligible language and revealed through the Spirit what God was saying to this house. And we receive the word of the Lord because it is in harmony with the word of God. Amen. And I think it's significant to point out that what the Spirit said then is that there will be a day when what we did for the Lord will be rewarded for eternity. I don't know about you, but I want my life to count for God. And I don't want to stand before him one day and see what could have been but was not because I wasn't courageous and I didn't throw my net into the ocean and just win a harvest for him. How many want to win a harvest for Jesus? How many will agree with me that this year God is going to use your life, work through your life to save more souls? Lift your hands if I am talking to you right now. Three questions I need you to consider before we pray. Number one, when is the last time you invited someone to church? Come and see what Jesus is doing. Number two, when is the last time you shared your faith with anyone? What Christ is doing in your heart and life. And number three, who may spend eternity in hell if I don't do what I'm called to do and let my light shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. You and I have a great commission to fulfill according to Mark chapter 15. Go into all the world preaching the gospel, making disciples, baptizing believers, healing the sick. That's what he called us to do. How many want to spend this year doing what you're called to do? Say amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room today, I know it's later than I'm used to keeping you. Today's business with God. If you're in this room today and would say, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? Because I need this salvation. And I feel like I've waited too long. And when you begin to say it's never too late, something begin to come alive on the inside of me, Pastor. And today I need to get right with God. On the first Sunday of 2018, I need to give my heart to Jesus. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If I'm talking to you, I don't care how far away from God you feel. If you believe and you want Jesus to save you, when I say three, lift your hand and I'm going to pray for God to save you. I don't care if you've never known him or you have known him and walked away. Today, if you want to give your heart all to Jesus, I surrender. When I say three, lift your hand. One, two, three, right now. Lift your hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Hands are up. I see them all over this room. Put them down. Thank you. Everyone look at me. I want you to participate in the kingdom of God today by asking your neighbor whether you have known them your whole life or you never met them before you come in this house. I want you to look at your neighbor and ask them this question. Do you need someone to go pray with you? in the altar. And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, when they ask you that question, 
I want you to nod your head. I don't care what you're fighting, what feelings you're feeling. If you need Jesus to save you, when your neighbor asks you that question, say, yes, would you come pray with me? And I'm going to stand right here and wait on every single one. And we're going to believe that today God is going to start this new year by saving souls. Right now, ask your neighbor all over this house, do you need someone to go to the altar with you and pray? If you lifted your hand, or you should have, when they ask you that question, would you come out of your seat and come meet me right here? Anybody at all? Anybody at all before we leave? It's a great, it could be the greatest day in your life. Anybody at all? I saw at least six hands. I'm not coming to get you. If you want Jesus, you're going to have to come. Thank you for coming, young man. Thank you for coming over there. Thank you for coming. Come on, come on, sir. Come on, I want a church. They're still coming. I want a church to get thankful. Come on, church. They're still coming. Somebody lift your hands to Jesus and thank him for salvation. If you want to come, come on. If you feel like it's too late, it's never too late. Come on. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Come on. Stretch your hands toward the altar. Pastors, come help me, please. Leaders, come help me, please. I need you. Very softly, music's playing. I want you to stretch your hands toward our new brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to pray for them like you wish somebody would pray for you. The day you got saved, make sure every one of them have somebody praying with them, please. Brothers and sisters, make sure. Thank you, Lord. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided. It's not too late. If you want to come right now, you still can. Come on. This is not a house of judgment. This is a house that will get really excited about your new birth in the kingdom. Come on. Sing it again, family, softly. I have decided.
before we leave and they continue to pray, I want to pray for our church that God would give us an evangelistic fire and fervor like we have never had before. Would you reach over and lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder before we leave this room? Let us pray for one another now that God would stir up in us an evangelistic fire. Come on, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fire of your spirit that burns on the inside of our hearts. I pray today, God, we will love who you love the way you love them. And it would cause us to reach and to go and to minister, Lord God, till every person, every nation has heard. I pray for this house, God, that in 2018, you will give us a greater burden for prayer, a greater hunger, Lord God, for the harvest. The harvest has never been the problem. It is laborers who you seek in the field. Today, God, we pray for one another that you would use our lives in a way that brings honor and glory to God and souls into the kingdom. In Jesus' name, I pray for this church today. Amen. God bless you, church. We love you. See you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Go in the peace of the Lord.